episode 94 of the Truth Quest podcast, The Truth About the Coronavirus Crisis, Lessons Learned, Part 1. Before we get started, I want to ask you to do me a favor and share the show. If you're on social media and topics such as the coronavirus crisis, price gouging, Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, socialism, or secession comes up, please share the topic-specific Truth Quest episode with your debate partner. Episodes are available on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean.com, and most recently, ThinkSpot. The video version of the podcast are available on YouTube, BitChute.com, and Brighteon.com. If you are listening to this on the Apple Podcast app, please take a moment and scroll down on the podcast page and give it a five-star rating. Another way you can help grow the show is to throw a small donation my way at the TruthQuest podcast patronage page. All donations will be used to drive awareness of the podcast through Facebook and Twitter advertising. See this episode's show notes page at truthquest.podbean.com for the link. Finally, please join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast. Let's start out our review of the lessons learned from the coronavirus crisis with some of the more lighthearted learnings. We will talk a little bit in this episode about some of the more hardcore political and public policy components, but I saved most of that discussion for episode 95. So let's dive in. Hat tip to my niece, Sophie, who pointed this out to my mother a few weeks ago. She was hopeful that the coronavirus crisis, known as the Great Pause, with its stay-at-home orders, would teach us to slow down, take time to breathe, and come to appreciate the importance of quiet time and of time spent with our families. For the average American with kids, pre-virus, your days were consisting of rising early, breakfast, lunchboxes, backpacks, carpools, and probably some yelling and screaming. Everyone went their separate ways for seven hours or so, only to come back together and then embark on what can only be described as the sprint. One kid to soccer practice at four, the other to volleyball or dance at five, back to pick the first one up, throw a snack his way, have him start or finish his homework while they wait for the other kid to finish, then it's home for dinner, homework, shower, rinse, and repeat. Now we find ourselves with the opportunity to rediscover the sit-down family dinner. We find ourselves rediscovering or discovering the joys or frustrations of jigsaw puzzles, Monopoly, Candyland, Payday, Life, Racco, Solitaire, Poker, Gin Rummy, Backgammon, and even those old tennis rackets, all of which were thrown in the attic or closet years ago. Millions of non-readers are picking up books. Previously, they never found the time to read because they were too busy trying to find the end of the internet. The crisis has taught many of us me included, that the lack of sports won't cause death. People have been forced to enjoy the simple things like their own backyard and sitting near a window and noticing how quickly the leaves bloom, how quickly spring takes over from winter. During this crisis, we have seen reduced levels of pollution. I saw a picture of India and the Himalayan mountains that according to the associated story, it was the first time in years that the mountain peaks were visible from that area. Another lesson learned, hopefully, by this crisis is it forced Christians back to their roots. Think about it. Early Christians had no idea what a church was. They did not meet in a big building with great acoustics, childcare, and parking lot attendance. They met in each other's homes in order to avoid drawing attention from the authorities. With all public meetings shut down during this crisis, churches have been forced to forego their traditional live Sunday service. Instead, most broadcast their services online. Hopefully, the modern Christian will go back to the roots of their religion and deepen their personal relationship with Jesus Christ, rather than relying on a building to bridge the gap between them and God. 
The crisis has forced us to add to our vocabulary with terms like social distancing, shelter-in-place, and virus rebels. Along with the new vocabulary words, this crisis will likely cause Americans to take the flu season more seriously. Who knew the flu killed tens of thousands of people every year in the United States? I've started referring to the coronavirus crisis of 2020 as the boom pandemic because of all the booms it will spur or trigger. How many of you think there will be a coronavirus baby boom? I guess we'll find out around Christmas time. Is it just me or have you noticed the dog adoption boom? Rarely has a day gone by during the stay-at-home government mandate that I went on Facebook, Snapchat, or Instagram and not find a friend or a friend of a friend either rescuing a dog from a shelter or buying a puppy. What about a cleanliness boom? Will you ever shake hands or open the door with your bare hands again? How often will you wash your hands in a given day compared to five years ago or five months ago? How often will you use hand sanitizer in a given day? Wipe down your desk, computer, and keyboard with antibacterial wipes. What about those self-checkout monitors at your local grocery store or Walmart? Yuck! Speaking of cleaning, what about the spring cleaning boom? How many of you have cleaned out your garage, attic, eave storage, crawl space, or under the deck during the crisis? How about the sleep boom? How many of you have caught up on your sleep? And finally, how many of you think, like me, that following this crisis, there will be a boom in homeschooling? A lot of parents will come to realize that it isn't as daunting as they once thought. Homeschooling is way more efficient than traditional schooling. No travel time, to and from school, no wasted time in between classes during the day. You can knock out the actual school day in about a quarter of the time and not have to deal with the politics of your kids' various teachers or the politics of your local, state, and federal government's mandates in schools or force your kids to be stuck in an underperforming environment. Speaking of education, I believe that much like the stock market bubble, listen to episode 95 for a discussion on that, the college cartel has been officially busted as well. Thankfully, the coronavirus crisis will break the multi-decades-long economic raping by the higher education establishment of their customers. As I discussed in episode 39, the truth about student loans and the cost of college, this has been a long time coming. With all the kids kicked off campus and doing college online for the spring semester, I predict a dramatic drop in fall enrollment and in the future, as parents, many of whom have been unemployed for part of the year, look again at the insane amount of money they are sending to these institutions of higher learning, or the debt that they and or their kids are incurring, and ask the question, why are we spending $38,000 a year for a degree in sociology, gender studies, or event planning, when I can spend four grand at the local community college for the same thing? I hope all of those extra professors and assistant associate deans of humanities and ant studies have some other marketable skills besides filling young skulls full of mush with worthless, unmarketable claptrap. I really, really hope I'm right about this. This crisis has amplified the political environment in America. Before the crisis, all we heard was how the nation has never been as divided as we are today. The people making this claim clearly think history started in 2016 as they ignore the Civil War era, the 1960s, the Vietnam War, and the Obama years. The National Democratic Party could not afford to let the country band together like we did even for a short time after 9-11, not in an election year. The bottom line is, if you hated Trump before the virus, you hated him during, and you'll hate him after. 
Trump derangement syndrome is probably more prevalent than the coronavirus itself. Day after day, the most pressing question the members of the media could think to ask the president was why he keeps calling the virus the China virus. They called Trump racist for doing so. And day after day, Trump and his surrogates went on TV and spit in the media's eye by calling the virus the China virus over and over again. The media called him a racist and a xenophobe when he imposed a travel ban on China back in January. Several mainstream media outlets even stopped airing the seemingly daily coronavirus task force briefings. They would rather their viewers be uninformed than to give Trump the airtime. The crisis exposed many networks, talking heads, and friends as unprincipled partisan hacks. All you have to do is compare their coverage or reaction to the Ebola or swine flu crisis under Obama to the current crisis. Or look at the coverage of Hurricane Katrina compared to today. The National Democrats even started talking about impeachment, again, right in the middle of the crisis. It's the ultimate exhibit of the ends justify the means. The end being wiping out a Republican president. The means being whatever it takes, destroy the economy, sow fear in the people, force job losses, basically playing God. Hell, Democratic Governor of California Gavin Newsom proposed using the pandemic as an opportunity to push the progressive agenda. More power in the hands of government. Great idea, Gavin. You guys did such a good job dealing with the coronavirus. Let's just give you more power. Listen to episode 38, The Truth About the Democratic Party, for a deep dive in that party's history. Another lesson we learned, or should have learned, from the coronavirus crisis is the realization that borders are necessary not only for sovereignty and security purposes, but to control disease. Hell, even ISIS issued a dictate to honor the borders of Europe, telling their members to avoid the continent in order to avoid the virus. Oh, and immigration from Mexico is way down. They don't want the virus either. One meme I saw said Mexico is now asking Trump to hurry up with the wall. I think the crisis forced Americans to wake up to what a communist regime is all about. It lies. It kills its own people ruthlessly. It willingly unleashed a pandemic on the world. Look at how the Chinese obscured and lied about the virus for months. They lied about the problem and allowed it to spread all over the world rather than contain it in Wuhan. They burned dead bodies and lied about the number of confirmed cases and deaths. I've even seen a few reports about live coronavirus victims being bagged up and shipped off. And Americans woke up to their reliance on China for everything from basic necessities to pharmaceuticals. You know, all those things that Trump had been bitching about for years. Outsourced nation must end. We have to make shit in America again. But how do we do that given the high cost of production in America? That's a good question, and I don't have a perfect answer for you because... When you speak economically, you make stuff where it's least expensive. But as we will discuss more in episode 95, we've got to begin a cycle of deregulation by our governments here in the United States at, at all levels, federal, state, and local. They put way too many unnecessary burdens on our domestic industries. Licensing and certification requirements, zoning restrictions and labor laws, and high taxes are just the beginning. All of that raises the cost of doing business and forces manufacturing overseas, where the cost of regulations is nominal. Let's wrap up part one of the lessons learned by the coronavirus crisis with this observation about socialized medical systems. I think it's safe to say that the coronavirus crisis proved once and for all that 
The only thing these systems do better than the free market-based healthcare is offer their citizens poorer healthcare and allow them to die faster. Listen to episode 12, The Truth About Socialized Medicine, for a deep dive on this topic. But think about what we witnessed during the, the crisis. Why were death rates so much higher in Spain and Italy? Why did we see rationing of care based on survivability? Why were there extreme shortages? Why were the medical systems overwhelmed? Socialized medical schemes are rife with excessive government regulations that artificially keeps healthcare supply low even as demand continues to increase. Universal coverage and third-party payer tends to do that. Despite the shortcomings of the Food and Drug Administration and the Centers for Disease Control here in the United States, I'll cover that more detail in episode 95, look how fast the somewhat free market healthcare system in the United States mobilized in response to the crisis. Don't let anyone tell you that the United States has a free market healthcare system. Far from it. It's just better than all others. As Jacob Hornberger put it in a recent article, quote, If we had had a free market healthcare system for the last 30 years, today we would be looking to the healthcare industry, not politicians, bureaucrats, and many dictators for guidance and direction. Test kits would be cheap and plentiful, even delivered overnight to people's homes. Those testing positive would be urged to self-isolate while everyone else would be going to work keeping the economy going. Test kits, ventilators, masks, and other essential supplies would be in an abundant supply. Entrepreneurs would be rushing into the market with new and innovative tests, treatments, and even cures. The death toll would have been minuscule compared to what we will have today, especially among seniors, end quote. One final thought on this topic. Where was the majority of the innovation coming from during the crisis? I can tell you one thing, it wasn't Italy or Spain. Listen to episode 9, The Truth About Healthcare in America, and episode 17, The Truth About Healthcare Reform, for more on this topic. If you're looking for an easy-to-read reference guide to have on your desk or bookshelf that covers many of the topics tackled here on the TruthQuest podcast, grab a copy of my book, Critical Thinking, spelled with a P like Peter. The subtitle is The Lost Art of Critical Thinking and Common Sense in Politics and Public Policy. In it, I tackle dozens of public policy issues from a pragmatic and logical perspective. It's available on Amazon and anywhere books are sold. See this episode's show notes page at truthquest.podbean.com for more information. Please join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast. 